Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Chris Clow, editor of Reverse Mortgage Daily, to talk about the CFPB's complaint database and why we're seeing an uptick in the number of complaints about reverse mortgages. Also, how seniors are feeling about their desire to either sell their homes or get a reverse mortgage as we head into a likely recession. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Sarah. I always appreciate the chance to talk to you. And always love having you on. So let's start today talking about some th- some of the news from the reverse space. You report on things for Housing Wire. You also are the editor at Reverse Mortgage Daily. And so you you have your uh, a foot in both worlds and you get to see it. But I really wanted to start with your story about the CFPB and seeing a sharp increase in complaints for reverse mortgages, which is a a change. So tell us what they found. Yeah. So this came from the 2022 Consumer Response Annual Report, which was actually published back in March, but the CFPB decided to uh, highlight its findings again this week. And uh, the reverse mortgage complaints certainly stood out just because uh, generally speaking, when you look at the the report and, and uh, the highlight that it put out for overall mortgage industry complaints, they actually went down when compared to the the entirety of the industry. But reverse mortgage complaints went up. The monthly average for reverse mortgage complaints increased by thirty three percent compared to the monthly average for the prior two years, uh, and and that's a that's a pretty sizable increase. And most of the complaints, according to the report were uh, based on consumers expressing frustration about getting statements or a payoff amount from their lender, uh, or they said that they're having difficulties making a payment or paying off a mortgage. And um, another interesting component of it is that when CFPB shares complaints with a company, the company has the opportunity to respond directly on the record, uh, on the public record, I should say, or uh, privately to the person who has made the complaint. And virtually all of the reverse mortgage complaints closed with a comment from the the impacted company, which is not particularly common when you look at the full spectrum 
of reverse mortgage or, or of, of general complaints that are sent to the CFPB. So to get some additional perspective on what this could mean, I reached out to uh, to a, a friend of RMD and a longtime reverse mortgage industry educator, Dan Holtquist, who's the author of a reference book called Understanding Reverse that was one of the books that really helped me get up to speed with the industry when I started covering the space. And he said that, yeah, it stood out to him that a lot of these issues seem to be focused on the servicing side. But it's also not too surprising to him considering all of the changes in posture that the industry has seen over the past year, particularly when it comes to servicing, the most uh, pronounced of which being the changeover of the Heckam servicing contract from HUD for loans that are assigned to the secretary from the previous holder, which was called Novad Management Consulting, to the current holder, which is Sealink, which is a very well-known entity in reverse mortgage servicing. Um, at the recent industry conference, there were actually people who were uh, thanking FHA representatives for awarding Sealink with the servicing contract, which I found interesting. So to Dan, it stood out that the issues are related to servicing when there's been a pretty disruptive transition, not to mention the fact that we're also coming out of a highly disruptive uh, pandemic that impacted the mortgage industry broadly, and it certainly impacted uh, reverse specifically. Um, but he also did note as well that, yeah, a lot of these uh, complaints for on the reverse side are closing with comments, and that indicates to him that the industry is doing what it can to uh, to address the concerns of borrowers, uh, particularly because it's a it's a highly regulated part of the mortgage industry. I think it's interesting because when you see a headline about uh, complaints about reverse, you know, my first reaction was like, oh my gosh, what are those complaints going to be? Or, or is it about the product itself? Was it, you know, deceptively sold? So when you think about it, it's just the mechanics of making payments and servicing, not that those aren't important, but I do think that that's important to, to talk about that it's not, it doesn't seem to be that the complaints are like, you know, there was some predatory situation or, you know, something about the product itself, which we know has been reformed for years, but still maybe carries that stigma. Yeah, that stigma really does stem from loans that were primarily originated during the, the financial crisis uh, about 13, 14 years ago. And uh, in a lot of ways, the industry is still dealing with some of those loans, but a lot of them have worked their way out of the system. And like you mentioned, I mean, the program has gone through so many different uh, policy changes and, and has done quite a bit to try and reform itself that it should be at least a little encouraging that those complaints are not focused on product features. Most of the time when you see like customer satisfaction data that is sent out at least by the lenders and sometimes by FHA and HUD, is generally pretty high with a reverse mortgage. I mean, there are some people where that doesn't apply and and maybe some people took out the loan that um, that maybe weren't going to, to use it in the way that it's probably best used for. But by and large, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that there are some issues that maybe still need to be worked out as we're still trying to find where the dust is going to settle on the servicing side after the pandemic in particular, and of course, with the changeover of the contract. So, you know, you mentioned the um, 
the reverse mortgage conference that you just went to. Give us some more information about that and how are reverse mortgage lenders feeling in this environment, right? We know that volume is down for everybody, but you know what it, what was the mood like and, and what were some of the, the um, conversations? Yeah, a lot of these conversations, and I think I mentioned this before, is just that reverse mortgage professionals as a cohort are extremely optimistic. You know, they they're they're kind of gluttons for punishment. You could beat them <laughs> down, and it doesn't matter. They're just going to get back up, and they're going to continue advocating uh, for the product and its features. Uh, over the past few weeks since the conference took place, I've reached out to a few different types of people who are involved in the space. I reached out to originators, I reached out to vendors, and then most recently, I reached out to executives. And um, in the executive conversation. I felt like uh, the tenor that I was getting from them was that they were still optimistic. There were conversations that they had on site that seemed to indicate that maybe the business was turning a corner from some of the more recent difficulties, but it is optimism that is tempered by understanding the realities that are facing the business right now, particularly as it pertains to liquidity. That was something that was a common topic of conversation on the floor of the conference. So uh, a few of the leaders I spoke to, one of whom was the, is the co-chair of Nirmala itself, and he described, uh, his name is Scott Norman. Normally, he works at Finance of America Reverse, um, but he's also Nirmala co-chair along with Mike Kent of Liberty Reverse Mortgage, and he called it the most engaged conference he's seen since before the pandemic. And uh, he his primary takeaway was that there was unfiltered optimism that a lot of the attendees seemed to have for the second half of the year. Uh, you know, the first half of the year has seen some pretty notable headwinds, which he does address in in his statement to me. But uh, one of the things that was kind of a, a key uh, indicator for him was just in looking at attendance figures uh, from last year and this year. This year, Nirmala has taken a little bit of a different approach in terms of how it's organizing its events. In previous years, uh, regional conferences have been two-day affairs. They shortened them to one day this year to try and keep uh, the the costs in mind that attendees would incur since you know no one's really rolling in cash in the mortgage business at the moment. So uh, that transition... Uh, you know, I think a lot of the attendees found that to be uh, a, a positive um, recognition of sort of the circumstances of the business right now. Maybe that fed into some of the optimism that they were feeling. Um, but either way, uh, from the normal co-chair's perspective, people were very dialed in to the, the programming. Normal oriented more of its programming around like sales and marketing strategies, which is absolutely top of mind for originators at the moment. Um, but you also had officials from FHA who were giving an update on the program and maybe some indications about some policies that could be coming down the pike, which I've reported on on RMD. So uh, other leaders were a little more tempered in their optimism. I talked to Jesse Allen, who's the uh, president of the 55 plus lending division at One Trust Home Loans. And he said that, yeah, you know, it's hard to to tamp down the optimism too much, but we also have to recognize the realities that are taking place in the industry at the moment. And uh, it's totally understandable. So generally, the conversations that I had were relatively similar. People were pretty open in their their optimism, but some of them also recognized that 
Maybe they were caught up in the moment being among their peers again. Maybe that's artificially inflated optimism, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fake per se. It just means that, well, if you get a group of reverse mortgage industry professionals together in in one room, they're going to trade notes. They're going to trade war stories, as one professional told me, and hopefully learn from each other to uh, to, to continue pushing the business forward. Yeah. And I mean, we've, we've noted here before that like the people who are at the conference are already, you know, it, it's sort of a biased sample because the people who are at the conference are the people doing well enough to be at the conference um, and find that, you know, that that's uh, helpful to them. But still, I think it's interesting. You know, you've noted over the last year how um, the reverse space does feel differently. They just have, they feel like, for instance, mortgage rate and, you know, mortgage rates going up so fast, so quick, they, they just feel that differently. It, it has a different uh, effect on them, even though it it affects everyone forward and reverse. I think it affects more uh, reverse differently. Yeah, I would, I would think that that is absolutely the case. I mean, considering the headwinds on the reputational side, which you've already mentioned, um, the uh, particularly long-term professionals in the reverse space, kind of seem to have the attitude that they've seen all this before. Like they're not strangers to pressure on the business and, uh, and pressure to potentially perform at a higher level. But you also have uh, an overwhelming majority of professionals, at least in my experience, that uh, aren't going to let that get in the way of providing guidance to their senior borrowers uh, regarding what is most appropriate for them. So there were uh, trainers during the conference, for instance, who talked about the idea that, yeah, you know, maybe a loan would have been beneficial for me, but it wasn't right for the borrower. So we're not going to, we're not going to push that. And that is something that in a previous era of the business, you know, the, the industry became uh, known for, you know, whether rightfully or wrongfully, that was a, a component of the reputation that was picked up. But you have conversations with reverse mortgage professionals today, particularly at, at some of the, the industry's biggest players. And uh, it's all about the, the welfare of the client first, you know, regardless of what the most, uh, if, if a reverse mortgage is not going to fit for them, then uh, in, in some cases you have these delineated policies from the lenders that say, you know, client first. But in, in a lot of cases, it doesn't seem like you necessarily need that because so many long haul reverse mortgage professionals kind of have that ingrained into the way that they conduct business. At least that's what I've found. It's so true. And, you know, again, in reverse, people don't go in and out of that industry maybe as much as they do uh, on the forward side, because I mean, it, it it's a longer tail anyway, just as, you know, um, learning it, executing, um, really, you know, creating those relationships. And so I think that's interesting. You know, the other thing that I really wanted to point out was you've had several stories recently about the, about how seniors are feeling and how that affects, you know, um, when they want to retire, when they want to stop working, when they want to potentially, um, get a reverse mortgage. And I think that this is so different than, you know, in the forward space, you, you can talk about consumers. That's just such a wide, you know, consumer sentiment is important, but how much um, more focused it is when we can look just at seniors. And so you had one that said, you know, a story that said more seniors concerned about recession moved to sell their homes. And of course, we know there was this whole big silver tsunami um, 
idea that has been talked about for a decade that hasn't really happened. But it's interesting now to think that in a recession, they're looking to sell their homes, not get a reverse mortgage. Is that what that that study found? Pretty much. I mean, a lot of this just stems from the fact that during the pandemic, home values exploded. And uh, statistically speaking, seniors are more likely to have higher amounts of equity because conceivably they've been paying into their mortgages for a lot longer than younger homeowners have. So it just might seem like uh, making a home sale and potentially downsizing or right-sizing, depending on on the term that you prefer, uh, could create a potential windfall for them to, to finance their retirements. Uh, downsizing has often been seen as sort of a, a competing notion to the idea of a reverse mortgage, but at the same time, you know, what the reverse mortgage industry counts on in most cases is that, uh, people have deeply ingrained emotional attachments to their homes and maybe they don't want to leave them. So this is an industry that potentially provides an opportunity for them to stay, without selling, but still managing to tap into that equity. But because there have been such uh, massive increases in in home price appreciation, and because you have so many seniors who are almost entirely reliant on social security and don't even consider tapping their home equity, uh, if they're house rich and cash poor, so to speak, then selling might seem to make more sense to them if they're not aware of other options. And this goes back to a longstanding issue that the reverse mortgage industry has had in terms of borrower education. If there's any predominant uh, idea that the industry at large seems to want to push forward on a constantly regular basis every year, it's expanding education. Like it's, it's almost entirely at the top of the list every year. You could have uh, industry exits, you could have bankruptcies like we've just seen, you could have giant M&A deals that might uh, change the landscape of where the lenders are. But in spite of all of that, or despite all of that, uh, a common refrain from reverse mortgage professionals is we need to expand education. And I think that survey kind of uh, emphasizes why so many originators feel that way. Uh, it looks like retirement savings is beginning to improve, at least based on that survey that you referenced, which was conducted by Retirement Living and that we reported on um, back on Tuesday of this week, I believe. But uh, it, it's just a lot of this too is underpinned by the idea that a lot of people seem to believe that there is a recession coming. Seems like economists are a little bit split on whether or not that's the case. It seems like the the labor market and certainly the the um, consumer spending has been more resilient than a lot of economists have expected over the past year, year and a half. But that concern is really driving a lot of additional interest in potentially selling their homes for seniors, I mean. And uh, that could be a, a competing factor with reverse mortgages, but it just gets back to the idea of making these other kinds of equity tapping options uh, available and more widely known within the the cohort that it's designed to serve. So there's a lot of different elements that play into the conversation, but it definitely seemed to me like highlighting that study uh, for the reverse mortgage industry audience was a good idea because of all of the competing economic priorities that seniors seem to have right now. 
Well, and when you think about, you know, yeah, they have a great home equity, but if they sell and take that, where are they going? Are they're going to be, you know, buying into um, a higher rate environment and, you know, other houses have also appreciated, right? So home prices are up from when they bought. And then, you know, it's not like renting's cheap and in, and in some of these areas renting. So that's why, you know, I think reverse mortgages can be a great option for people that they don't even think about. It also keeps them right where they, where, where they like to be. So- yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And and I, I what you mentioned about the the appreciation of other homes, I think absolutely plays into things just because even if you do sell your home and 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 take the the cash, you're not going to be able to get quite as much house for the same amount of money as you were a few years ago. So, how does that play into the um the downsizing or right sizing conversation? You know, you might not find that the the home that you would like to spend the rest of your life in is achievable based on the amount of money that you might have uh have set aside or 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 tried to devote to finding a new home. So I think that's definitely something that the reverse mortgage industry can make a case on. Um whether or not they will is another matter. Probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> A whole other podcast. Well, okay. Well, we still have plenty to talk about in this podcast. So um, let's go on to the forward side because we have had so much happen this week. Um, you cover a lot of the uh, federal action. So, you know, the regulatory space, uh, federal agencies action on the forward side. And and wow, we had a lot this week, which is actually interesting. We tend to see things uh, from a news cycle speed up right before a um, before a holiday. I mean, that is just true. Like we, we're always on the alert, like, okay, we're going to be trying to get off early the day before the holiday, but we all know like that's when something's going to drop. That's when a lot of things happen. Maybe when people aren't paying attention, but also just like us, you know, the regulators, the agencies, they're trying to get out. So they're like, they're doing all their stuff at once. So um, I don't know if that's it or if they're working on this, but um, tell us some of the things that are going on there. Uh, you know, we had Fannie Mae publishing FAQs for low-income refi option. We had FHA requiring a form. We had House Republicans doing something uh, on the uh, blocking the LLPA changes. What stood out to you? Well, the thing, you know, weirdly enough, I always am so dialed into when FHA makes policy changes via mortgagee letter. So even though uh, it, it's objectively more interesting for probably more people that House Republicans have moved to to block controversial LLPA changes, I mean, they had telegraphed that a while ago. They had had hearings about that. Uh, and they even put FHFA Director Sandra Thompson on the hot seat during a House Financial Services subcommittee hearing uh, about why uh, these changes were implemented. But House Republicans announced that they were going to try to block those changes legislatively uh, a while ago. And the the House moved to do that. But it it's kind of up in the air whether or not that would even make it to the floor in the Senate, because as we know, the Senate has a Democratic majority and uh, different priorities that they want to pursue legislatively. Not to mention the idea that even if a House Republican bill blocking LLPA changes did make it to the Senate floor and passed, uh, it would very likely not be signed into law by the president. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, it's quite possible that that's going to die on the vine, uh, when it comes to, uh, survival in the Senate, but we'll see, you know, it's, it's certainly, 
uh, interesting. And I think that there are some reasonable points to be made, uh, regardless of the stakeholder, you know, maybe it should lead to a, a, a wider conversation, but as for whether or not that's actually going to be implemented is a whole other matter. But the FHA uh, recent mortgagee letter is 2023-13. It requires the use of a form that allows borrowers to voluntarily state their language preferences and provide information on any housing counseling and home ownership education they've received. So the form, it's a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac form 1103, known as the Supplemental Consumer Information Form or SCIF. Um, and it's going to be required for all FHA loan applications issued on or after August 28th. And uh, this is really a move that has been made to try and open uh, the door and and broaden access to FHA mortgage financing to people who may not have uh, English as their first language. So uh, FHA has done a few things in this respect this year. They made a whole slew of additional mortgage documents and FHA documents available in, in different languages and not just English and Spanish. I mean, languages down through Tagalog, you know, that may not be widely used, but it certainly would apply to certain people who are trying to, to find FHA mortgage financing in some form or fashion. So opening up the accessibility of FHA financing uh, to a wider swath of people who may not have English as their first language appears to be the priority there. And uh, this was actually something that the National Consumer Law Center, the NCLC, uh, applauded. Uh, they sent a statement to me saying that, you know, since FHA is such a critical provider of, uh, of, of financing, uh, making sure that mortgage credit is available in often underserved communities and collecting language preferences will just only serve to expand their reach and conceivably additional access to uh, to mortgage credit. So I think that that's generally a positive development. It opens up more business to people who may not have even considered serving certain communities because of a, a language barrier that may have existed. Granted, you know, FHA uh, availability in multiple languages isn't the only issue when it comes to those kinds of barriers, but removing that barrier certainly helps, I think. Boy, that's so interesting. Another another story that really caught my eye was the fact um, the GSEs completed nearly 60,000 foreclosure prevention actions. And it just underlined the fact that during, you know, during COVID, you know, companies got really good at um, communicating with borrowers and and getting them loan mods instead of them going into foreclosure. And we are now at such a, a, a small foreclosure rate. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, this came from uh, FHFA's first quarter 2023 foreclosure prevention and refinance report that was published uh, just last week. Um, and initiated forbearance plans in the first quarter uh, decreased relatively sizably. It was forty-seven, a little over forty-seven thousand in the fourth quarter of twenty twenty-two. Now it's just under thirty-five thousand in the first quarter of of twenty twenty-three, and the total number of loans in forbearance stood at uh, just under sixty-six thousand, which is zero point two one percent of the total loan serviced and fifteen percent of uh, of delinquent loans. Um, the serious delinquency rate also decreased to 0.6% at the end of the first quarter compared with 4.01% for FHA loans, uh, 2.25% for VA loans, and 1.73% for all loans on an industry average. 
there were uh, th- there was a slight uptick in refinance transactions despite being down overall for the quarter. Uh, total refi volume increased in March as rates continued to decrease through February from the what what was then the October peak of six point nine percent. So you know these kinds of reports I think are really critical in in getting an accurate picture of the entire mortgage landscape. Uh, FHFA obviously is a provider of critical information for the industry to operate off of, and it's it's nice to see things moving in the right direction. But we're not out of the woods when it comes to rate volatility. I mean, I'm sure you've had conversations with Logan specifically about uh, the the idea that the the highly volatile uh, or sa- was it savagely unhealthy housing market has oh, yes. returned, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we're certainly not out of the woods, but any information that can be provided to just provide professionals with more clarity about how things are moving is always going to be a positive development. And considering the difficulties that the mortgage industry faced uh, out of the pandemic, particularly when it came to uh, the need uh, to mitigate foreclosures, uh, I think that that's generally a positive sign. Just we're far from the end of the line here, of course. I, I just think, you know, it, anybody who is in the industry during the financial crisis has to just look at that and marvel at those, you know, those low percentages, those low numbers, and acknowledge that, you know, those those mortgage laws that went into effect, um, the Dodd-Frank laws, I mean, they have made a huge difference. It, you just don't have the kind of loans that are coming into the system that are going to crash, even if, you know, we've had a, a tough year when it comes to inflation. Um, some people, you know, some job loss, not not a lot. But, you know, when you look at the overall economy and the fact that there there have been some pressures there, and then you look at the delinquency rate, you look at the foreclosure rate, it's just astonishingly small. And I think that that's a, that's a good thing to point out because as we know, there are people who are always looking for uh, the housing market to crash and I, I, there's just no indication that that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, in a time where the industry is looking for some good news, I think that on a, on a longer road, looking at the, uh, the evolution that the industry sort of had to go through after the financial crisis and how it's resulted in more reflexiveness on the part of regulators, certainly. And then all the lessons that were learned from the pandemic on top of that, uh, we're in, it's certainly a disruptive time. And I'm not trying to downplay the fact that there are a lot of other issues, particularly when it comes to affordability and inventory. I mean, I've reported on inventory issues and things that are being done at the federal and at the state level to try and address those problems. But uh, I think that you do have to try and be pragmatic and take all of the additional advancements into account in order to try and paint an accurate picture. And uh, I mean, you want to talk about affordability. I live in the Seattle area. Affordability isn't exactly uh, at, at peak. You are, you are ground central for affordability uh, problems, Chris. Yeah, yeah. It seems that way. Uh, but, um, but on a longer timeline, you know, I think it, it, it does benefit the industry to recognize how far things have come. That doesn't diminish the problems that are in front of everybody, but I think it does help to see, hey, you know, if we made progress here, maybe we can make progress in these other areas too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thanks for being on. We'll have you again soon. Love having you on to give us the uh, scoop on what's happening on reverse side and on the forward side. Very versatile uh, reporter. We appreciate you so much. Oh, well, thank you very much, Sarah. I really appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.